Clubhouse. Do you love Christmas? Do you love Christmas movies? Do you wish it was Christmas time year round? Well, do we have a podcast for you? Welcome to the 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast. Whoa, 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 Clark. We're keeping this show family-friendly. Where's the Tylenol? Welcome to week 22 of the 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. This week we're talking about 1984's Gremlins, a movie that I don't know that everyone thinks of as a Christmas movie, but definitely takes place at Christmas time. Caroline, what was your history with Gremlins? This is a movie, we were both really young when it came out. It came out in June of 1984. Did you see this in theaters? Did you see this on home video? Have you seen it a lot since? I saw it when I was very young. I was only like seven when this came out. And I saw it probably when I was like eight. Man, oh man, did it scare me <laughs> so bad. This was a time when we didn't have a PG-13 rating system. So we either had a PG movie or we had an R movie. And anything that was PG seemed very fair game to be a kid and watch. I, this was too much for me. It really, really scared me. I didn't see this movie until years after it came out. So I probably saw this in like 89 or 90. I was probably like 11 or 12 when I saw it first. I remember thinking it was very funny. If I've seen it fully once since I saw it originally, that's probably a lot. I remembered a bunch of like individual scenes rewatching it here, but like overall plot, entire scenes, no memory of. This movie is super violent <laughs> in a way that I found I found funny. I remember thinking the scenes that are violent in this movie, a bunch of them, when the gremlins would laugh, like the bad gremlins would laugh, like I also laughed. And I guess I could still see that now, but like as a an adult thinking about kids watching this, because this marketed as a family movie. I would have been horrified if I was a parent <laughs> watching this as a movie, you know? Well, it really, again, that rating system really throws you for a loop. And actually, because of this movie and Steven Spielberg specifically, we get that PG-13 rating coming up because there was just no way to rate these movies. They weren't really family-friendly, and they weren't a hard R. But what do you do? How do you warn parents? Like, hey, maybe they should be a little bit older. And this is actually when my kids saw it. So I should it to them when they were like 13 and they loved it. They're big puppet fans. And so everything having to do with Gizmo, who for me is the original baby Yoda, his big eyes, his little expressive face, everything about him was so adorable. They fell in love with him and they laughed, laughed at all of the like horrifying versions of the gremlins dressed as like prostitutes and, and gangsters and, and like how they had little personalities, little outfits, like their little jackets. And like, I mean, they just thought it was all hysterical. So I don't think it, it like the special effects of it all don't come off as scary now as they did when I was small. Like they, they seemed so real back then now because our special effects have come so far. They really look like puppets. They look like puppets, but the things they do are still really egregiously violent things. Like yes. what, like Mrs. Deagle, you and I were talking about, like, no one, no one mourns for Mrs. Deagle. She's a bad, bad character, bad human in this movie. 
but that's a gruesome death. The speeding up the 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 stairwell that just the way they shot it looks like it's like a five story house, yes. and then launches her out of the window. That's gruesome. Yeah, it truly was. That is the one death that stuck with me for so long because her shooting out of the house out of the window. First of all, Lolly Holiday, I totally know from Mel's Diner, love her, and just she played this version of Mrs. Gulch, a la Wizard of Oz, that you know the whole give me your dog yeah i'm gonna come get your dog that i appreciated the little call outs to other movies in this one there was so much et action going on in here which of course just came out what two years before Mm -hmm. gremlins and of course our spielberg connection there there was a lot going on here for kids and for movie lovers hey we got to see some george bailey action in the background yeah one thing i was missing from from mrs deagle because she plays Flo in alice was there were no kiss my grits and i think (laughs) i think this character could have worked in a little bit of sassy like kiss Margaret, billy well especially you know? when she walks up to the window at the mm. bank and like cuts the line every time if anyone talked back to her it would have been really funny if she said kiss my grits it would someone. have been uh, <laughs> so, like, out. so like you mentioned this is a steven spielberg executive produced movie but he didn't write it he didn't direct it but his hand is on the tiller and he was extremely involved in getting this movie made so this was directed by joe dante who Previously, I think in 1981, directs The Howling, a horror movie, like kind of like a B-list horror movie. This is a horror movie. This is a comedy horror movie, Gremlins. So he was kind of the right director for it. Spielberg came across this script because it was written by Chris Columbus, who at this point hadn't done any movies yet. He's a year away from writing Goonies. Three years away from his first directing, which is Adventures in Babysitting, and it's not until 1994, six years later, that he does Home Alone, where he really blows up as a writer and director. So he actually writes The Gremlins as a spec script, just to shop it around and say, hey, I can write. I can write movies. It comes across Spielberg's desk. He's like, this is the most original thing I've seen in years. I want to make this movie. But he's in the middle of doing Indiana Jones. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom comes out the same summer as the Gremlins. He can't direct it. He actually approaches Tim Burton first. Ah, see, that would have been a good match. However, I do want to point out that Joe Dante, I knew from The Burbs, which is another one of those movies that came out that as a kid was confusing genre-wise. Like, like there were parts to it that were kind of funny. Tom Hanks was in it. Mm -hmm. That meant this should be funny to me, or at least family-friendly, and then it had such Real scary, dark, dark stuff. Yeah. You know. And so I that kind of, like, really layers into Dante's work in a way that when you look at Gremlins compared to, say, The Burbs, you're like, I get it. And the way that this one works for me, it's funny. It's like that activity you do where you can play different horror clips, but you layer in different music on it, mm-hmm. and it changes the level of fear you feel. This is one of those ones because we have the music that is so much like, do 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 and not scary i think that's what keeps it tempered but if you play some hardcore horror sounds over the top of what's happening this would be an r without a doubt because you would get your blood pressure up a hundred percent i mean the scene where the gremlins have all gathered in the movie theater to watch snow white and the seven dwarfs it's snow white on the movie screen classic disney you know family film but you have the gremlins being nasty little gremlins in the movie theater kind of thing. It, it, the juxtaposition of the comedy and the horror. There's another movie that comes out actually the same day as this that also made use of mixing humor and then scary moments one after the other, keeping you off foot and making the horror palatable so it could be more family friendly. 
You know what movie came out the same day as this one? I don't know. I really have no idea. Who are you going to call? Yeah, okay, yeah. You want to know something super funny? Okay, for those of you who don't know, that would be Ghostbusters I'd be calling. Um, I had a VHS tape at home in my little, like, blank tapes, like, rack. And the two movies taped off of the TV was Ghostbusters and Gremlins. And go. so the, that little twosome, they, they're forever linked in my brain. Like, they, I can remember, we had a two-screen movie theater in our little tiny town. And that's what was playing, Ghostbusters and Gremlins. I can remember my parents went and saw this and I was like, I don't know why they thought it was okay. I was seven. <laughs> I don't know what was going on. But, the, but all my fears. Original Ghostbusters. Yeah. There's so much of Ghostbusters. Guys, go watch Ghostbusters. It's scary as a there's kid. There's a lot of Ghostbusters that's not appropriate for kids. Oh, no, like, yeah. little kids. There's a lot of innuendo action going on there. The sexual stuff aside, but like just the, some of the ghosts, the way they implemented the effects with the music. I mean, again, mm. another example of the music in Ghostbusters really dictated the mood the same way here what you're saying yeah. if, if they turn it from cheery music while you're watching gremlins do bad things to dark music the, the fight with the mom oh yeah that's a straight up horror movie yeah. scene yeah what she's doing what they're trying to do to her what they're done to the house Oof. let's talk about the casting a little bit because besides lolly holiday there was a couple of other familiar faces certainly i knew phoebe cates she was from a lot of movies that i knew i my most favorite movie ever is shag if you guys haven't caught that one it's not a family friendly one but if you want to have like a little uh, moment back to your like high school days especially ladies i think it is a it's just a fun movie that I just love, love. And of course, you know, she's known for so many different movies during the 80s that this one, you know, she's she's like a tried and true. Did you like her in this role as Katie? I did. I, you know, her story was about the most Christmassy part of this movie, which is which is odd, which right? is something that we haven't gotten to yet. But her feelings about no one complains if you don't like fourth of july or or washington's birthday i think she uses as an example but if you don't like christmas like you're a monster which is true people do treat people that way and she is one of those people because we learn later on her her father's death oh my sad, sad death like i i i was moved by that and it, i think it made her character interesting but i was also thinking this movie has so much going on i don't understand we don't really need so much Kate backstory here. It's right. always like there was like another 20 minutes of the movie that got axed out or or cut because that would have been Kate focused where you, where she would have been maybe more central to the plot okay. because she's in the beginning. Right. And then she kind of disappeared. Like she comes back in the middle, but even when she comes back, it's really just to get saved. Right. Well, right. I mean, she's doing the whole part of the bar. So at Dory's. And so she has, she has some role of just her and the gremlins. But I think the thing that is like going to be my big warning to parents is that if you're thinking about showing this one to kids, even if they're 10, 11 years old, if they're still in that gray area about mm. Mr. Claus, this would be one that you need to pay attention to because her story with her father is definitely either a fast forward moment because you don't need it to the plot. You just need At to all. know that she had, you know, a tragedy around Christmas time. So you really need to know that's it. And that's why she doesn't like Christmas, but you don't want that one. I'm not even going to say the sentence on here because we're not going to do that. What, which would spoil stuff for Christmas. So definitely warning to parents. If you guys haven't watched this in a long time, I didn't remember that was in there. No, me either. And I was pretty surprised. And thankfully my own kids, it went right over their head 
ads. They didn't really hear it because I think they were so weirded out about the actual, what in the world is this woman talking about? That it kind of like threw them completely right. a heads up on that. I, it's I, a mixed bag. It's, it's crazy to me thinking about kids under the age of like nine or 10 watching this movie without being traumatized, but they will be so, I'm so scared. Their, their <laughs> eyes will be so overwhelmed by the gremlins and gizmo and everything that's happening with that any human interaction is largely probably going to go over their head. I agree. I think that's it takes a really observing, right? A really observing kid. Like, how many movies that you watch where you're like, and then if you ask a kid summarize the movie, it's like the cute animals or like the the puppety things, the animatronic, you know, puppets in this movie. They're animatronic puppets mostly doing cute things, and then there are adults on screen for a few minutes, and then there's back to the yeah. things. And I can give you details on what the gremlins do, and then there are adults talking for a little bit, and then <laughs> you know. So I think that's kind of probably goes over the kids' movie, but yeah, it's it's a bit harsh and a bit unnecessary i like her in this you know she was the the studio warner brothers actually really balked at her being cast because she had had kind of a risque role in fast times at ridgemont high a couple right. of years before right uh and they didn't think she would be quote-unquote wholesome enough for this movie well i think they went over the top to make her wholesome i mean i think yes. that they really made her they still look- made her work in a bar though that's true, but she was working for free to help out. Sure. So let's, I mean, she had a heart of gold, right? So that's a big part oh, of it. Oh, helping out Odori <laughs> exactly. in the bar. Exactly. So, I mean, you know, we also talked about how there's different themes at Christmas time. That's not always everything being sweet and, and beautiful. We have this whole theme of, yeah. of a depressed town. Very. It's a wonderful life. Like Very. It's a wonderful life. Like very depressed town. Very reminiscent. You know, you had pointed out that this set looked familiar. Yes. So as soon as the movie starts and we see Billy walking after the initial purchase of Gizmo of of the Mogwai, when Billy is walking through town and we're getting to know Kingston Falls, I thought to myself, this looks like Back to the Future. This looks like Hill Valley. And I I was like, I found it funny because I know Back to the Future is a 1985 movie. And I was like, this is just what small towns look like in movies in the 80s. It turns out actually both movies, Back to the Future and gremlins use the same set for their town setting. So that's why it actually did look that way. Something in my bones was telling me. Well, and I also think that having dad be an inventor is mm-hmm. like a total like little signaling moment of your like, why do I see this town plus an inventor? Right. What is going through my head? And as a kid from the 80s, yeah, of course, we're going to link those yeah. two things together. But I loved how they had this this extra layer. And I know it sounds funny to say love it at Christmas time, but I think it harkens back to all the things we we're talking about. Loneliness, depression, you know, feeling strapped for cash the the stress of you know the holidays how going back to bad moms and all that stuff like you have a mom with her kids begging about like we don't have enough money and can you please help like there's a lot going on here that layers in so many parts of other christmas movies we talked about let's uh before we get to the inventor dad who i think he's kind of an interesting character even though amy he he gets the ball rolling for this movie and then really kind of becomes unimportant (laughs) he disappears He's 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 out of pocket for all of the interesting things to happen. <laughs> but let's talk about mom, though. Uh, Lynn Peltzer, uh, played by Frances Lee McCain. She was interesting to me because when we were watching this, I even packed up. I was like, oh, that's the aunt from Footloose. I'm big. I'm a big Footloose fan. I love oh. Footloose. And I recognized her because she had this very same kind of short, tight, permy curl hair. Yes. And very I was like, mom 80s. Very mom 80s. And I was like, oh, my God. That's from, so I looked up. I was like, yeah, she is. She's, she's a McCormick from uh, Footloose. She plays Lorraine's mom, Marty McFly's mom, 
when Marty goes back to 1955 and gets hit by the car, and oh, then Lorraine yes. falls so in love her, with her son. So his, Marty McFly's grandmother. What would be Marty McFly's grandmother nice. is the same woman. Wow, that's a lot, a lot of ties. A lot of ties. Well, and Bob Zemeckis, who directs Back to the Future, is a protege of Steven Spielberg. Of course. Of course he is. Small t- it's a Spielbergian <laughs> world. It's a Spielbergian world in, oh uh, my gosh. in, in the mid-80s. It certainly is. I like that she's such a supportive wife. I like that she's like a cool mom without being like quote unquote cool mom. Like she's an interested mom. She Not knows the mean what, girl's wife. Yeah, no. She's like interested <laughs> in what Billy's doing and like being supportive and stuff. But she's like making Christmas cookies and like doing her thing. But when push comes to shove, girl has her knives out and she is ready to fight. And she is not screeching like mm-hmm. that total cliche horror movie girl who is just yelling and doesn't know what's happening. She doesn't care that she doesn't exactly know what's happening. She is going to defend her family. Right. She goes right to work. Love it. Doesn't question, Love doesn't it. hesitate, doesn't blame. Mm-mm. Her family, her house is is threatened, and she goes right, right, right to work. Very uh, home alone, right? Very. This is my house. I have to defend it. But also, and uses gadgets in the house. Hello, home alone. Very. Uses gadgets in the house to defeat the that's intruders. Chris Columbus. That's his. That's his thing. Chris oh Columbus loves a good uh, Rube Goldberg <laughs> machine. Yes, yes. You know, why squeeze an orange with your hand if you can have a machine mess it up for you? Yeah, think about this. This is the tar and feathering kind of move. Like all it the is. different machineries, all the little booby traps. I'll tell you the reason I end up really liking the mom, and maybe my favorite character besides Gizmo in the movie, mm. because I was annoyed at her. I'm not annoyed. That's the wrong word. I was confused whether or not she was humoring her husband, the the goofy, the nutty professor kind of type, mm-hmm. or and you know, like I love him because of his curious mind and he's so quirky. Or was she like simple and almost like had the same kind of arrested development maturity issue that the husband had? Because there's a the beginning of this movie. I'm curious how these two adults have raised their own son to make it to an age that he's like a young adult in high school going getting ready for college because neither of these people seem qualified to do anything but i thought but it then, was sweet how they yes. didn't like neither of them like made fun of each she didn't other harp at him, right? no she and might. and and he wasn't like go back in the kitchen and make dinner like right. they like support each other like when she's like doing the coffee and they're like kind of laughing she's right. like i don't really think we can drink this he's like oh, i don't know what's, what's wrong like he's like right. laughing i, I like liked that. their relationship i liked the little family that they were even down to barney i loved him barney was little great. mushroom little the dog mushroom, mushroom the dog <laughs> Uh, so yeah, no, I, I, thinking about the movie after now watching it and, and everything, I've come around to, I like their dynamic because it would have been so easy for her to slam, you know, something on the counter and be like, no more inventions or, mm-hmm. or have some kind of reaction like that. So I think it was just, she, she loved the inner child in him and, and embraced that, which I can totally get behind. But when she then, when it's time to go to war, she does without hesitation, really made me like her. I mean, she takes it to the gremlins without hesitation. And she went back for a second knife. Yeah. She freed up a hand and was like, you know what this hand needs? It needs another knife in it. Yeah. That's smart. We never get smart. Steak knives cutting, cutting your steak. These are chop them up horror movie knives on their own totally about that and she really does she doesn't put them in the microwave light up the microwave put them in the blender that blender scene is disgusting it is it is graphic and gross and the squishy sound and then she's just hacking at it like she is 
in a horror movie. Like she's the murderer in a horror movie, but she's just defending her home. Yeah, I love it. But I it's, it's it. when when she gets tackled by the Christmas tree, and then she if she comes away with the three giant scratches on her face. I was what movie am I watching? What kid, <laughs> kids watch this? This she's is a warrior, it's, man. It's psychotic to me that kids watch this. I know. Let's talk about that because Hoyt Axton plays Rand Peltzer. He's the inventor, the the goofy inventor who seems to maybe have never made anything that has actually worked. It works the first time, Mike. Yeah, it's just subsequent times. It just doesn't work. It's a more of a he's more of a one and done disposable thing. Yeah, I want to I want to say though a lot of his inventions, people probably laughed. In 1984, when right. this movie came out, like what a what a buffoon, you know. But that was my book's bunny. Nice, you know. Thank you. Yeah, sure. But he was ahead of his time on so many of those. Gadgets. I know the smart light, the smart light home, the smart home with a remote control. How many things in our homes are controlled by remote controls now? Ahead of his time, I love that. Answering the phone was possible with with like a little remote. Yep, he has the juicer. Which I guess juicers weren't popular then, but what he's doing the orange the orange machine the orange juicer doesn't work great in this movie that is an entire industry now of different juicing juicing machines with rinds and stuff i mean we're a far cry from dan Aykroyd in the bassomatic in snl years (laughs) you know which was this was like the next step of that he also has uh he has the electronic card dealer that he's tinkering with just saw that in a drugstore literally today like automatic card shuffler and i was like what also a feature in every casino if you go to any casino they you know because they don't play with one shoe decks they play with multiple shoe decks they're all using electronic card shufflers very cool Meltzer probably made bank as like, like if we did like if we went into Gremlins <laughs> three, which has been in production now for several years allegedly. <laughs> I make you bet he's probably sitting pretty high in the hog. One of these inventions took off. He probably owns Apple stock. Oh God, I hope he does. I hope he does too, or yeah. Starbucks or something like right? that. Man, that would needs be a break. Important. I hope so. So, what did you think about Zach Galligan uh, as Billy Peltzer? What did you think about him? I read that Judd Nelson and Emilio Estevez were both up for this role. Okay. And that Spielberg pushed for Zach to be cast because he was unknown at this point, but apparently had fantastic chemistry during auditions with Phoebe Keats. Okay. And that's what got him the role. Spielberg got him the role. Spielberg said, this is the guy. Even Don't pick someone better. Well, no, pick someone who has the chemistry, which again... Is the chemistry with Phoebe terribly important in the overall movie that we saw? Hmm. I really think I would say someone that can interact with Barney and the Gremlins became much more unpopular. Which I think he did. I think he has a great relationship. I think he does great with Gizmo. it's, It's tough when you're an actor. It is tough to interact with inanimate things. Anyone who does Star Wars movies, any any movie that has alien creatures, it's really challenging for them. You you listen to them talk about getting emotional resonance when you're interacting with a fake thing. And I found him rather believable in how he's dealing with Gizmo. The way he treats Gizmo and understands he is good and the animosity towards the bad gremlin stripe and all of his legion of demons. <laughs> I, I found I thought it was pretty good. Over is he a great actor? I mean, I think it was fine because I think perfect. everything it's is not about Billy. As it right. Out. And that's the thing. Everything you said about how when you're watching it, you are fully 
drawn into the gremlins, yes. most especially Gizmo. Sure. So then Billy can be there all he wants, but he's just the facilitator. He's the one that's moving Gizmo around. Right, because it would but... take too long for Gizmo to walk on his little Gizmo legs. <laughs> exactly. Or in his Barbie sport dream car oh that he takes. Oh my God, the Malibu dream car. The Malibu dream car. Yeah, that's amazing. Which my sisters definitely had, and I definitely used. Oh, I definitely my, had, My G.I. Joe used to travel in style around my house. <laughs> I definitely had. But also, it reminded me of, like, Toy Story. I think that they do, like, a little derivative moment of, like, them driving the little mm-hmm. Malibu yeah. Barbie well, our, car. I mean, and then you have RC. They, he's an entire, like, remote-controlled car who drives them around constantly. <laughs> uh, yes, Billy is more of a prop for Gizmo than Gizmo is a prop for Billy, as it turns mm-hmm. out. So I, I think he was perfectly serviceable. Corey Feldman, funny little thing because we have Goonies later with Chris Columbus, and so that's like super funny to me. And also, when I just insane calling him booby traps, it also like made me think of like, man, Chris Columbus loves a booby trap, huh? He does. He's all about it. Goonies is booby trap central. Guy, I swear, can you imagine his house? It must just be a giant booby trap. You start at the front of anything, and it's just everything is just a combination of crazy happenings. If you guys have it, you should definitely go listen to our uh, Home Alone episode from earlier in the season of the podcast, <laughs> yes. too, because we, we get a lot into the traps. Uh, a little fun fact about Chris Columbus. Yes. This movie, Home Alone and Home Alone 2, all feature at least a little clip from It's a Wonderful Life. Ooh, I like that very much. Columbus, Chris Columbus got a thing for It's, it's a Wonderful a Life. a little thing for it. Has a thing for Christmas, obviously. Ah. But also has a thing for It's a Wonderful Life. Also, just thinking of Goonies, has a little thing about like financial issues with parents. Chris Columbus has like a little heart string there. Yeah. That's like the whole thing. That's the whole thing. They all have to sell their, their homes in Goonies because of the big, you know, real estate development that's coming. Yeah. Wow. They need the money. Maybe uh, not unlike a run on the bank that made bankrupt the town. Oh my God. See what Go this listen is. to our It's a Wonderful Life episode <laughs> for more about runs on banks. Uh, okay. I mean, so that takes care of a lot of the big cast though. I, but we have to talk about a voice actor in particular. Yes. Because I think we're, we're talking about Gizmo and how cute he is and how adorable he is. The puppeteering and the frowning, the, the mouth movement puppetry and the eyes and the blinking really sells you on the emotional, really, I think, is what attaches you emotionally to Gizmo. But his sweet little baby voice is adorable. It really is. Did you recognize it? No, not until I saw who it was. And then I was like, of course. <laughs> Because I used to watch Bobby's World. I was a big fan of Bobby's World, you know, like oh Howie Mandel is the voice of Gizmo in this movie, which is fantastic and really perfect casting. Absolutely. And again, if you guys aren't like, you know, kids of the 80s, you might have missed old Howie Mandel. So go back and like watch some of these ones and you'll hear his voice all over the place. He was more than deal or no deal. I think much many more. people listening may just know him as a germaphobe yeah. uh, that, today's version that used to talk to the bank. Yeah. In the secret room. <laughs> but Howie Mandel was was a feature of the late, especially of the late 80s and early 90s. Howie Mandel, I think, really had his breakout role. Hey, mm-hmm. we had a couple of cameos in this one that were kind of funny. Did you see Steven Spielberg? He was totally the the man riding the recumbent bicycle. <laughs> I did. I did. I, I went back and I looked afterwards and I, I then I was like, oh, my God, I didn't see it. But not until I read it, though. And Tom Bergeron. That was cracking me up. He was like one of the TV reporters. Oh, you know Tom what? I, I saw the face and I thought to myself, 
We, you you look so familiar, right? I totally wasn't putting that on there. Super funny. Okay, but then so, you also have John, Judge Reinhold, who is not a cameo. But he could. He may as well have been. Well, I be read. I read allegedly. Apparently, there was a lot more Judge Reinhold. There was a lot more Ooh. to Gerald and the other guy. The bank. The bank job mm. had a lot more scenes that in the final edit got cut out. I mean, the whole movie was going to be much darker as originally written. I mean, yeah. when I read the whole part about how the mom was supposed to be decapitated and her head was supposed to come down the stairs, be thrown down the stairs. I mean, what? When Billy enters. What? All right. Billy enters and the mom is under the tree. Originally, you're right. The, uh, the original script had her losing the fight ultimately and the, her, her decapitated head being tossed at Billy when he comes in the house. Can you imagine? No. Just no. The gremlins no. eat Barney in the original script. No. <laughs> See, Chris Columbus has got... He's got, issues. he should, I he's, hope he spent some of his money some, on therapy. There's some darkness in him. <laughs> there there's, is some darkness. There, there's some darkness in him. I know, think about that. Also, like his, like the mom in Home Alone forgets him and the mom in this one would have been de- decapitated. And so, ay, yeah, 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 mom issues. It, it's, it's a little crazy. Let's talk about some of the product placement that is in this movie. Okay. Because there, you mentioned before, there's a bunch of E.T. tie-ins. There's a lot yes. of E.T. references. The gremlin is heard saying, phone home. Phone home. Yeah. There is an E.T. stuffed uh, toy. Actually, it looks like a little inflatable in the toy store. Toy He's like the movie. that vinyl E.T. I think I actually had him. Do you, did you see what he was surrounded by, though, in the rack of toys? I recognize Sylvester and yeah. Bugs Bunny. Yeah, because this is a Warner Brothers movie. Ah. Look at this Spielberg, because <laughs> this is this is one of Amblin Entertainment's first movies. Obviously, E.T. is the first, I think, Amblin Entertainment, Steven Spielberg's production company. This is the first time the familiar logo with E.T. in the logo of the Amblin Entertainment. This is the first movie that actually features that. Ooh. So it was Amblin Entertainment and Warner Brothers produced this movie together, Warner Brothers put it out though distributed it so there's a lot of bugs bunny in this movie if you look around you see a lot of warner brothers things you see a lot of bugs bunny uh tie-in things here which i really liked this movie was made for marketing though it was made for toys yeah yes yes oh my gosh yeah how we all not went in the gizmo well uh, the original script had gizmo morphing into stripe the gremlin oh do you know why they didn't make that change well you would have lost Gizmo. You would have lost Gizmo, and I think Spielberg and Joe Dante was like, no, people want to see Gizmo. Toys. Uh, Toys aside, but toys a lot. (laughs) People want to see Gizmo. They want him to be throughout the movie. Um, And so they made Stripe a separate character, because Gizmo, you were going to lose Gizmo, and and they were like, kids are going to want to see this. We need to keep them hooked into it. And goodness, he's the hero. Not originally. Originally, Billy... And Gizmo begin opening up the curtains. They recut the movie. They re-edited the movie. So it's shown that Gizmo is the sole hero. Oh, wow. Because they decided that it was important to make Gizmo the hero to overcome Stripe. Wow. Yeah, they were giving him the real hero push. I love that. You were big on edits, right? If this was Survivor. Yes. You, you This is part of your <laughs> whole reality television edit. They gave him the hero edit in this movie. They certainly did. Yeah. Yeah. And he and he recognized all the things that were happening. Like, he'd be like, oh, no. Like, right when something's happening, no one else recognized it. Yeah. But Gizmo, Gizmo knew. Like, he's yeah. frowning, you know, at all the right parts. Like, yeah. I think that the puppetry work and the animatronics on so this. So good really good really really pulled you in and it held up it did hold up i was a little worried that it was going to be a little too fake because there's no cgi in this which is again something that kids that watch movies today probably are a little turned off by because it looks weird to them because they're used to marvel movies and superhero Mm -hmm. movies where all the effects are happening on a green screen here it's all practical effects it's all real puppets it's all real 
stunt work making the effects come like there is no there's cgi doesn't really exist yet it, i mean cgi even as we know it is still years away at this point so this is all practical effects so you know some of the blinking of gizmo looks a little fur babyish. yeah fur baby being a direct inspiration from gizmo uh later on the like fur furbies the fur the furby toy right yeah. is directly inspired by gizmo is oh, kind of like geez. a ripoff of it but like the blinking like i'm blinking flink flink flink, yeah. flink you know some of that is like nah, that doesn't hold up great but overall though his facial motions his how many eyes. times we were watching this how many times we were both like oh like, yeah you really he are was, feeling it. it baby yoda man yeah. this is baby yoda love all yes. over the place chicky nuggies chicky nuggies <laughs> If if he was not if he was drinking uh, the chicken soup that mom prepares Aww. with two hands in a saucer cup, he could have been Baby Yoda, <laughs> a little Grogu. So cute, I love him. One thing we haven't really talked about is: is this a Christmas movie? This is a movie. It features Christmas music. It takes place at Christmas time. Mogwai uh, Gizmo is purchased by Dad as a Christmas present for his son. But is it a Christmas? movie does it have any of the christmas themes that we've been thinking about i am very torn because there is the portion of it where you have like this depressed town portion people are drinking at the bar and there's things that get explained away by the fact that it's christmas eve and then there's this kind of like this slice of the pie who's depressed and so maybe sure. they rioted at the bar and that's what caused the dory's bar situation or Oh, just the, you know, like we said, the gift giving in general is part of that. But I just, I don't know. It could have been a birthday present. You know, it didn't have to be a Christmas present. Yeah. I don't personally think it had to have happen at Christmas time. I don't think it did either. I mean, again, we always, I always use 4th of July yes. because it's the opposite holiday from Christmas, right? It happens in July versus December. Picture gremlins with fireworks versus that would have snow. been kind of cool. It would have been awesome. <laughs> I've seen Stripe riding in the M80. Yeah, that would be kind of cool. Throwing cherry bombs and stuff. Yeah. Like, I think kind of cool. You know, but then Gizmo holding a cute little sparkler and writing yeah. his name. Gizmo, bright light. Oh you know? my gosh. Um, right, well, the bright light could have been ha handled by a firework explosion. Could have been a giant in a warehouse. So firework explosion I in the warehouse. Like that. It didn't need to be. I, I yes, think I, it needed to be Christmas. You're right. Right. You're but, right. And so well, let's talk about the themes, though. Okay. So one of the things that we've talked we've talked about, there's a, a theme of hope or uh, friendship and family going above and beyond for your friendship and family. Goodwill towards men is a, is a popular theme that we've talked about in these movies that really sell the Christmas spirit. Or you even have the more practical things like the against commercialization of Christmas. Is any of that here? To be honest with you, I don't think so. I mean, I don't, you know, when it came to family and friends, yes, Kate and Billy work together. And yes, the mom is part of it on some level at some point. But at the same time, like they usher her off. And I really, the way that they had those individual town people, like the Futtermans, or like you have the guy with the mailbox with the pipe, like mm -hmm. you see him a bunch of times. Moments like that, like if people had band together a little bit more to fight the gremlins, I think you could argue they never really understood what was going on though only billy yeah, yeah. billy and then mom and then and then kate really understood even dad who started something he's gone the entire movie and even when he comes back in he's like sorry about what happened i'll give you my scarf yeah yeah, like, yeah, yeah. he comes back into this devastation yeah. billy's like dad give me your scarf because he's got to cover uh gizmo from the right light 
He doesn't even say anything. Would they, or would is they astounded. Pay him for word? I mean, <laughs> Maybe so. He, and he wasn't astounded by the mess that this entire situation no, had created. There he, is so much that's goo the, melted in this town. Maybe from... that's the sitch of this dad. They make him an inventor where the first one is fine, Gizmo. Mm. But all subsequent things that yeah, happen from that he even... falls apart. Like the entire thing falls apart oh, every so time. So it's just expected. This, yeah. is, this is just his operating. The second, the second iteration, of course, is going to be Stripe. And of course, it's not going to work. Even when Billy goes to him and says, listen, something horrible has happened. Yeah. And they got wet and he had more. He doesn't really have a reaction. No, he's no, like, he was he's like, like, let's like, do yeah, the Peltzer yeah, pet. He's like, you got, a, you got it wet, huh? Yeah. yeah, yeah he's he just, looks at he's it like, like a oh, business opportunity. Uh, we've got more Fantastic. than one now. Now we can make it a business. I'm done. All right. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm out. We yeah. can make it a Peltzer pet and I'm leaving now. Yeah. Because like, the, like on the 23rd of Christmas, they're having an invention convention. What? What? Come yeah. on, people. That's a little silly. Which, so that even actually says maybe they shouldn't have had it at Christmas because it would have been more believable to have that invention fair, which pulls dad away and all that stuff, had it not been Christmas time. Yeah. Kind of like when we were talking to Drew and Danny and they pointed out, like, why is school in session and it's like the 23rd right. or the 24th? It's a little like that. Like, these things wouldn't be happening. Dad wouldn't be at some sort of business conference on the 24th. Right. You know, like that's kind of silly. So mm, I'm kind of going with it kind of actually would have been better not to be Christmas. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. The movie originally was going to be released in Christmas at Christmas time, which would have definitely made it feel even more like Warner Brothers would have been signaling, signaling to us that, hey, Christmas movie, we're releasing it at Christmas time. This movie releases June 8th, 1984, same day as Ghostbusters. Warner Brothers realized uh, several months before they didn't have any summer blockbuster to go up against Ghostbusters or Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, which was also coming out that summer. So they they rushed Gremlins into production so that they had a movie to release in the summertime, even though it's ostensibly a Christmas movie and, yeah. and people sell it as a Christmas movie. People watch this as a Christmas movie. It's on our list because it commonly comes up in lists of people's favorite Christmas movies. I love this movie. I think this movie actually held up pretty well. I found myself really entertained by this movie, but it's not a Christmas movie. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. Let's jump into some fast facts, because I think that the, actually the whole concept of what is a gremlin was something that was pretty fascinating and something that we read quite a bit about. I'm going to go actually with the Mogwai and what Mogwai Oh, okay. uh, translates into because I never actually looked that up for whatever reason. After an entire life of of hearing the word, I never actually looked it up to see what the Chinese translation would be. So in Cantonese, Mogwai means devil, demon, or gremlin. Uh, in Mandarin, the pronunciation is more akin to Mogui. Kind of interesting. Then these are like little devils, but they are gremlins. The idea of the gremlin is actually goes back to becomes documented around World War II. It actually may have started as early as World War I or the 1920s in in uh, Britain, uh, the Royal Air Force. Anytime something would go wrong with their planes, the men being a superstitious bunch would blame a quote unquote gremlin as being the cause of the freak breaks in their equipment. Gremlins became associated with any kind of unexplained malfunction in avi aviation equipment, but really any kind of machinery. Which I, I really like that they carried that through, that that was actually the mischievous manipulation of machinery is what causes 
90% of the injuries or death in this movie, you know, like we have Mrs. Deagle's chair, you know, riding off the rails, or we have the, the snowplow running into the Futterman's house. You know, the fact that sometimes Billy's car works, sometimes it doesn't work. Like all these different things work doing with the, um, the traffic lights and messing with all kinds of things. A lot of it really plays so nicely with this idea of, you know, something's, something's wrong in the machinery. Something's going on a glitch in right. the system. How many times they're, they're pulling at wires when yeah. he's on the bike about phone home. He, when the phone home is funny because he's he's ripping out the yeah. phone line. Uh, or um, the whole reason why they were up fed after midnight is because they nod through the wires and nod, the clock intentionally. Work. Which I remember it was funny because they were being all cute little gizmo looking <laughs> uh, uh, well mogwai at that point, and then Billy leaves to get them some chicken snack. And as soon as he's gone, they're like, That's yeah, they have a little, little, little powwow, like yeah, a little evil, huddle. Evil, a little <laughs> evil powwow. <laughs> One thing I really liked, and we haven't really talked about, it, and it's just another aspect, I think, of the, of the puppetry and the creature design, is they were all basically the same design, mm-hmm. Gizmo and all the others, initially before they go through their pupil stage. Mm. But the deviousness, the mischievousness of the bad gremlins was palpable versus Gizmo, so that really comes up to the the movement of the eyes and the eyebrows and the mouth movement. Yeah. That's really fantastic work. Again, not being done with animators using computers to animate it. That's just puppetry. That's that's people controlling behind the scenes what they're doing. That's really impressive work to do with these tiny little things. Now, uh Chris Wallace, I believe his name is, who was the creature designer for the movie the gizmo design was so small it was problematic because it would break frequently and it was tough to get your hands in there to fix things he wanted them to use larger size mogwai the entire time more akin to what the evil gremlins uh become that larger gremlin he wanted them all to be bigger because it would be easier to fix and to use and the the studio and dante and columbus and spielberg too uh, weighed in and was like no it's got to be cute Merchandising, right. merchandising, merchandising, merchandising. <laughs> to quote Spaceballs. Um, yeah, so you needed a cute little gizmo, even though it was problematic. To, well, it isn't. To deal see, with. and I think that that's fascinating because that play that kind of crosses the line. You know, are they talking about commercialism in the movie? No, but a lot of choices are made are driven by commercialism in the reality of like sure. coming over into our real lives. They are making choices here to push stuff at us for Christmas. And just even the decision to release it, like to, to yeah. go against Ghostbusters. This is the fourth highest grossing movie of 1984 behind Beverly Hills Cop, Ghostbusters, and Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Spielberg had a good year, man. Then, then Gremlins. Huge blockbuster. 1984, one of those years of movies changed forever this year. There's a couple of them. You have 1939, the Wizard of Year, Wizard of Oz year, uh, 1990 of several of the 90s, 99. There are a lot of years that, just for whatever reason, 86, 87, big movies come out in mass that change the game. 84 is like one of those years. Just those four movies alone really changed how future, especially the idea of the blockbuster, really getting created. It really goes back to Jaws in the mid-70s, but movie years like 84 where you have these giant hits. Crazy. Uh, I found this poster when we were looking about Gremlins. There was an actual World War II safety poster that you would hang in like a shop in a mechanic shop that says, Gremlins think it's fun to hurt you. Use care always. And it's a picture of like little 
they look kind of like fairies or like pixies kind of wearing I'm gonna say, suits. I'm gonna say imps. Imps. They're kind of like almost, they almost wear like a leprechaun suit, but with like long egg-shaped heads with like a little strand of hair, but they've got horrible knives and they're doing like mischievous things. And that's what these gremlins are. The, the gremlins do take a bent towards evil, I think, as the movie goes on. But initially, they're just mischievous. They're just causing anarchy and chaos for the sake of causing anarchy and chaos. Like Kate, they're not going after Kate. They're not trying to hurt her. I don't think they're looking to kill humans. They're just looking to rip stuff up and mess right. stuff up and drink and play poker. Until and, the very end. And, and then, when they're know, all die, Billy, that was like when it was like, okay. Yeah, when Shrek grabs a gun much. and starts screaming, die, Billy. <laughs> yeah, a little much. See, this is where seven-year-old Caroline was like weeping. It got to be a little bit much for me, to be honest with you. So give me another fast fact, Mike. Oh, this one made me laugh. So an earlier attempt before they decided on puppets and animatronic puppetry, an early attempt was that they were going to use spider monkeys, actually, to play the gremlins. It was abandoned, though, because their test monkey that they used, he panicked, freaked out, and he ripped off the gremlin head. He had a complete meltdown when they tried to put a gremlin head on him. <laughs> oh, my the God. Poor monkey. Poor well, monkey. Poor monkey <laughs> had, a flea, had a freak out. So Dante goes... He panicked. Muppets then? Uh, puppets then? <laughs> That, that's Can his response. You imagine the though, runs away. like a panicked monkey. Can He's you like, imagine a movie theater of crazy spider monkeys? No, okay, that like was, a spider monkey. That would have been really, really, really funny. Yeah, where we were talking about how uh, the small gizmo puppet was a real pain for them to use because it was so small and it would break, and it was it was just it was too delicate to be really used. The crew was so frustrated when they were when they were forced to continue to use it. To satisfy the crew, they included the scene in the movie where Gizmo is pinned to the dartboard and the evil gremlins are throwing darts at Gizmo. Uh, this satisfied the crew and they uh, they created, it went on the list of things that they, they you know, endearingly referred to as horrible things to do to Gizmo list. <laughs> that's because terrible. that's like they were working out their therapy, <laughs> their cathartic therapy and trying to oh torture my, Gizmo in different ways. That's so funny. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Uh, I mean, there's a ton of trivia that's associated with this movie over the years. You guys, so much we trivia. Could do a, we could do an episode just on the trivia of this movie. But I think I think for our purposes, for a Christmas, is this a Christmas movie uh, on a Christmas podcast? I don't know. We have to spend actually a lot more time talking about this. So let's play a clip from next week's movie while we think about our jingle bells. How about that? Absolutely. And so, as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us, everyone. I'm not exactly sure. I mean, it seems like a Christmas Carol, but I do not know. This is clearly a version I'm not familiar with. So we're going back to the Christmas Carol. Well, it'll be our third visit to the Dickens classic, A Christmas Carol. We've done appropriate, like very future, Mm. present, past, freaky. So we've done a Muppets Christmas Carol. Yes. We've done recently, last week's episode was Scrooge. Mm -hmm. This time we are going to a classic telling of the Dickens Christmas Carol. No Muppets, no Bill Murray. This is the 1951 version of Christmas Carol. This is Ebenezer Scrooge, not a puppet, not Michael Caine. This is Tiny Tim. This is Bob Cratchit. This is a real, largely considered the best telling, the most faithful telling anyway, of the Christmas Carol 
story. Okay, well, I'm excited for that. I'm ready to to get back to a classic because we've kind of we've diverged and gone into some of these ones which you know may have held up, may have not, and even some ones where we're very questioning about whether or not they're truly Christmas movies. This is clearly going to be a Christmas movie. I think it's so. I'm looking forward to it. Unless we've not understood (laughs) Dickens' 1843 novella at all. (laughs) I I mean, you know, guys, we're doing we're we're doing we're trying to be as honest as we can about this because I think we are enjoying a lot of these movies. Oh, yeah. It turns out a lot of these movies, though, not really Christmas movies, which is surprising. We're continuing to kind of define what a Christmas movie is. And I think that it's taken us to week 22 to really say, like, okay, we're getting pretty firm on what we understand, what themes we need to talk about. And it doesn't always need to be happy themes. It can be all kinds of different themes that come around Christmas time. But you have to play with those themes and weave them in or else you can't just throw a Christmas song in there. You can't just throw up some Christmas lights and then tell us it's Christmas. We know the difference now. Right. And we're not getting played. And and people may say, you know what? But you can. I can watch Gremlins every Christmas time and of call it a Christmas movie. Of course you can. But and you can watch you can. anything. But exactly. Call it a tradition. You can call it a tradition. But I would say to you, I, I love that. I love that you have that tradition. What about Gremlins speaks to you <laughs> as a Christmas movie as compared to, say, It's a Wonderful Life or Home Alone or Charlie Brown Christmas Tree or Polar Express? Or anything else that is specifically about Christmas, right? Because this is, again, another movie that's in the Christmas adjacent. Because it's it's a Christmas movie. I'm using mm-hmm. air quotes. But it's not about Christmas, per se. Any Even people who would say this is a Christmas movie wouldn't say this movie is about Christmas. So I would say to you, what about this makes this a Christmas movie? And if your only answer is, I don't know, it's just I watch it at well, Christmas time every year. Well, the set decoration was Christmas-themed. Right. If that's as good as you get, if that's all you need, the theme hey, was Christmas. Then, if that if that's the only qualification for a Christmas movie, then you know what? We can do five years of Christmas movies. Yeah, you hear that, people? We could do five years. I mean, we will spend six months just watching, <laughs> making you watch Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Oh no, not again! <laughs> I want to see maybe more erotic Christmas themed creatures in bubbles. That's quite enough of that. Let's right. get on to Jingle Bells. Uh, I went first last week, Caroline, so you get to give the your Jingle Bell rating first this week. Okay, so this is getting really rough because we were getting yes. into this area where I feel like there's this middle ground that I'm just heaping these fives and sixes onto these movies, and it's going to get really hard for me to untangle. So I'm actually going to give this one a lower one. I'm going to give this one a five. Really and truly, we just gave a great argument how 4th of July, most especially if you come back to um, this idea of where Gremlin came from, the idea that it came at World War uh, during World Wars, that it came during this idea of wrecking with like you know patriotic machinery, if you will. I think it actually would have been more fun I call to you play to the, this out at at Fourth of July. I call you to the scene of Gizmo for whatever reason holding the little American flag, waving it. I know what is up. With that. I don't know why he was doing it, but right. maybe even Gizmo wanted this to be a Fourth of July movie. I, and again, coming out in June, I think that I mean for me since. I remember it as a summer movie. Like, why not? Why wouldn't we have done it in the summer? So, and again, just going back to all the themes, I mean, they had the family broken apart the entire movie. Like, dad and mom weren't really together. We weren't really working together. And they didn't even have, like, a let's get all of our friends together and work together. Kate was even at one place. Billy was at another. Even that part didn't really work. And even the villain getting killed, if you will, there really wasn't even a whole lot of feeling 
satisfied about that because really the only person who saw it was the cops and they still didn't do anything about the whole thing and still didn't really believe what was going on. So I don't know for oh, me. Oh, you mean the cops who were drinking uh, while on duty? Yeah, that was all not great. Not great. Not, not great. a great look on cops in 1984. <laughs> not small town, great. Kingston Falls. Yeah. So, I mean, across the board, I thought that, you know, again, even in the movie theater, they're playing Snow White. Like they just didn't, they could have been playing a Christmas movie. You know, actually, I, Tell th- me. this is what? actually a point in the Christmas movie favor, Uh-oh, they picked actually to play Snow White in this movie because when Snow White was originally released, it was released at Christmas time. Ooh, interesting. But that's too hard for your average. You wouldn't know that. No, no. You have to, like, to be a total movie nerd to know that. Yeah. I didn't know that. I read it. I mean, so I read that as when I was studying up on this movie. Yeah. Snow White was was airing here in Kingston Falls at Christmas time because when it was originally released, it was aired. Okay. It was, it was All right. Well, I'm still. But still, sticking, they could have been playing "It's a Wonderful Life" in the movie theater, or yeah, or just pick any other. You know, it could have been a Christmas Carol. Could have been like a lot of different things. That again, it just it didn't. You could have been playing, and you would have been playing Snow White. Probably at a time during the summertime when kids were out of school. I'm giving it a five. I I think that this is one that I don't associate with Christmas at all. I knew it was set around Christmas because I knew it was a Christmas gift. But the fact that the whole thing happened on Christmas Eve, it didn't even, I I had no idea. I remembered this being a Christmas set movie. It was one of the things that stuck with me. I remember the snow. I remember all the Christmas lights. There's a scene where Barney traumatically is tied up in the Christmas lights. That was horrible. I mean, granted, I, I'd rather Barney be tied up in Christmas lights than be eaten, right? which was the original idea. So I guess that's part of the, all right, we can't kill the dog, allegedly, so let's <laughs> let's torture him a little bit. I'm happy Barney went to go stay with Graham for a day. Me too. Man. That was so strange. Poor, poor Barney. Poor Barney. By the way, I read Mushroom. Really delight to work with, actually. Aww. He actually got along with the puppets really well and followed them and tracked really well. Mushroom was a delight, according to Joe Dante. Oh, really well, easy I to work with. I that. Good yeah. mob. R.I.P. Mushroom, because I'm, I'm sure, he's sure he's long passed gone. On, passed on to, I love him. to the upstate farm. Yeah. Uh, I'm also going to give this a five because it does the bare minimum Christmas things. It has some Christmas music. It's a Christmas present. It's set at Christmas. There is snow. There's a a obligatory reference to It's a Wonderful Life. But that's it. There's no hope. There's no joy. There's no there's no hope for the future. There's no we are going to overcome in the Christmas spirit. We're all going to band together for the Christmas spirits kind of thing. There's no what's the meaning of Christmas discussion here. This is I got a present that is now the offspring of which is trying to kill everyone. <laughs> um, you know, and then the apocalypse, which was a horror movie, at least had. And I gave that a higher rating, which wasn't, again, not a great Christmas movie. Great movie. Movie I really enjoyed. But not a great Christmas movie, but I think still had more Christmas themes going on it because they were, it was friendship. There was a, there was this call to friendship and family banding together and we are all that's left and we have to protect each other, all of that kind of thing. And kind of needing a miracle through cooperation. Yeah. Even, even her showing up in the car and hitting the one zombie when, when literally yeah. all hope is lost, she shows up and knocks the zombie away. Like yeah. all of, there's no, there's no intricate miracle here day came that was the miracle here gizmo yeah. had the wherewithal to realize the sun had risen dawn, dawn had broken <laughs> right uh, that was the miracle here. so it was christmas morning it was christmas morning right but there's not even like a god bless us everyone which i would have loved gizmo to have yeah. said that but yeah i think you said this movie in a, in a fireworks factory in july 
Man, what a blast. Uh, Pun intended. Uh, oh you see what I did there? I do. Uh, would have worked even better. So not a Christmas movie. No, None of the Christmas themes I'm looking for really fails on all of those fronts. I need something more than just set at Christmas time. I think that's super fair. Yeah. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. Thank you for listening to the 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast. Uh, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the 52 Weeks of Christmas podcast and all of Pod Clubhouse's podcasts at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're available everywhere. If you could leave us a comment, a five-star rating, it helps Apple Podcasts like us and promote our shows. And if you don't, well, we're going to feed you after midnight when furry things pop out of your back. We're not going to help you. <laughs> oh my God. We're not going to help you. You're on your own. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.